Hello and welcome to UN Catch Up Dateline Geneva, a weekly 15-minute wrap of news and interviews from the United Nations. I'm Daniel Johnson and in this week's show we're covering UN Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet's appeal to Myanmar's rulers amid continuing bloodshed linked to the military takeover and potential stumbling blocks to the rollout of the COVAX COVID-19 vaccine drive for developing countries. We'll also be highlighting the plight of tens of thousands of detainees in serious prisons and detention centres 10 years since the civil war began. An interview with UN-appointed independent rights investigator Hani Magali. First, the news bulletin. UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet has issued a fresh appeal to Myanmar's security forces to halt what she called their vicious crackdown on peaceful protesters. Myanmar's military must stop murdering and jailing protesters, the UN rights chief said on Thursday, adding that it was abhorrent to use live ammunition against the civil disobedience movement in the country. Since the military takeover on the 1st of February, at least 54 people have been killed by police and military officers, said spokesperson for the Office of the High Commissioner, Ravina Shamdasani. Of the 54 cases, at least 30 people were killed in Yangon, Mandalay, Sagang, Magwe and Mon by security forces on Wednesday alone. Another person was documented to have been killed on Tuesday and 18 people on Sunday and five prior to that. It is difficult to establish how many people have suffered injuries but credible information indicates at a minimum that hundreds have been wounded during protests. Ms Shamdasani noted that the High Commissioner urged all those with information and influence to support international efforts to hold military leaders to account for the serious human rights violations that have been committed both now and in the past. The equitable UN-partnered coronavirus vaccine delivery initiative COVAX, that delivered its first doses to the African continent and Latin America this week, faces obstacles that need to be overcome to make a truly global rollout possible, UN Health Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said on Tuesday. Speaking after Côte d'Ivoire, Ghana and Colombia received their first round of AstraZeneca Oxford jabs, Tedros highlighted how countries' plans to produce their own vaccines faced being held up. The distribution of vaccines has not been as equitable as we would have liked, but it has certainly been more equitable than it would have been otherwise. And we still have many challenges to overcome, including the local production barriers related to intellectual property. The COVAX initiative aims to deliver just under 2 billion vaccines to around 190 countries and territories. One of the partners of the scheme, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations, CEPI, said that the job is not done when it comes to developing vaccines against COVID-19, as emerging variants risked complicating the task of ending the pandemic. In a related development, the new head of the World Trade Organization, WTO, has urged governments to work with vaccine manufacturers to triple production by licensing more producers in developing countries. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwiela made the appeal on Monday in a call for the production of 10 billion doses, around three times more than current capacity. Her call comes as the World Health Organization, or WHO, said on Thursday that new cases of COVID-19 in Europe rose 9% in the last week to just above 1 million. This brought to an end a six-week decline in new cases, with more than half the region seeing increasing numbers of new infections. The news headlines there. To Syria now then, where after 10 years of war, ordinary people face increasing hardship and continuing insecurity, despite the huge efforts by the UN and partners to help them. There are very likely tens of thousands of detainees across the country, held by the government and opposition groups, a traumatic waiting game for their families, who are unsure of their fate. In this week's interview, I asked Hani Magali from the Commission of Inquiry on Syria to sum up the situation there today, and also what steps the international community is taking to try to resolve the situation. 
It's really a very, very sorry picture. After 10 years of conflict, over half the population are now displaced. Many of the cities are in rubble. Is a staggering 12.4 million Syrians are food insecure. International aid and assistance is being denied because the borders are being closed. There's only one crossing left to bring outside aid into Syria, unless you do it through Damascus, which many aid organizations are reluctant to do because it tends to then be diverted by the government in Syria to not the most neediest of places. The population has suffered aerial bombardments, chemical attacks, arbitrary arrests and uh, disappearances. Uh, inside the country, more than 6 million internally displaced in horrific conditions. Now it's winter. If you see the pictures of swamps where camps are set up, etc. So we're prioritizing, yes. of course, a way to stop the conflict now immediately so that people can begin to tackle the real problems that they're facing to live within a country that's been devastated by 10 years. So I barely want to say it, but this is the 21st report that's going to be presented and that's been requested by the Human Rights Council. What is it that you're hoping to achieve? You do have in your sights the Security Council and international inaction to bring this war to an end, don't you? Yes, sadly, the Security Council has been stalled by um, differences of opinion within the Security Council. And so even efforts to bring the Security Council to move the Syria file to the International Criminal Court have failed. So people have been looking to, to other ways to try and get movement on the Syria situation. And in essence, a mechanism was established to look at accountability in Syria and ways of holding those responsible for the crimes there accountable. And that mechanism was, in fact, established by the General Assembly because there was a realization, I think, that it wouldn't get through the Security Council. We've seen European governments, by and large, judicial authorities begin to look at holding uh, Syrians on their territory who have fled the country accountable for crimes they may have committed inside Syria. So we're beginning to see movements in various places to tackle the problems. But really, the biggest problem we're seeing is that many of the countries that are involved in Syria ostensibly to help solve the problems have actually added to them. And there are no clean hands, as we say in the report. All actors have been committing violations. All have been prioritizing winning the war or temporarily gaining territorial control and have been sacrificing civilian actors. Now, at the UN in Geneva, there have been a series of constitutional talks about providing a political solution, a political way forward for the country. But one of the things the UN Special Envoy, who's leading these talks, always says is he wants to see concrete measures for the people of Syria so that they have confidence in these, this constitutional process. And one of those measures would be the release of detainees. How can you help to bring that about? Of course, one of the biggest issues are the detainees. And in Syria, if you're de detained, you're often missing because your family don't know where you are. They can't access you. They can't visit. The authorities are not telling them where you're being held, etc. And you may no longer be alive, as is sadly the case in many instances. So we've been pushing for a mechanism, an international mechanism, to be looking at the whole issue of the missing and the disappeared in Syria and coordinating all the other efforts that have been going on to collect names and provide lists so that we can begin to get some energy into looking at how we could move forward on, 
on that issue. And of course, we've been pushing the authorities and also the armed groups who are holding also detainees and hostages. Can I ask you how many there are still detained in Syria? Is there any way of knowing, really? Very difficult. I mean, all the figures point to over 100,000 detained, missing, disappeared. Now, how many of them are alive is very difficult to tell since the authorities are not admitting to even holding people. But if we can push for international access to the places of detention, for example, by the International Committee of the Red Cross, then we would know who is alive and in detention. We would know who is no longer alive. And and at least the families would be able to start putting their lives back together again. Are you getting any cooperation? We're pushing at all aspects. There, a couple of years ago, the Syrian authorities began issuing notifications to families that their relatives were no longer alive in detention. And that way, in essence, giving them a pathway to getting death certificates. But of course, for the families, there was absolutely no proof that you know they could believe this information. And in fact, they were galvanized to be saying, this is not enough, we need more information. If they're no longer alive, where are the bodies? You know, we would like closure, you know, can you provide us evidence, etc. So in some ways, it didn't work out the way that the authorities might have thought it would. And while the hope was that process might develop into something bigger, it seems to have stalled a, a little bit. And with the advent of COVID, how has that changed the urgency of the need to get information about these detainees? So we've called on the authorities to do things like close the small makeshift secret places of detention to release many of those in detention that are really not being held for for serious uh, security reasons. But above all, to allow access so that the international community can also help with this and relieve them a little bit of the potential ticking bomb of this deadly virus spreading very fast. And prisons are one of the key areas that we've seen from data around the world that it can spread very quickly. Hani Megali from the Commission of Inquiry on Syria there. It's mandated by the Human Rights Council to report on the conflict. Such arbitrary detention and imprisonment have been a root cause and were a key trigger for serious conflict in the first place, the investigators have insisted. You can hear the longer version of that interview on UN News forward slash Audio Hub now. And you can follow the Human Rights Council's proceedings live in Geneva on webtv.un.org. You're listening to UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. We've almost come to the end of the show, but not before we've heard from our regular guest, Solange Bertege cortez from UN Geneva's Information Service. Hello to you, Solange. What are we to make of the situation inside Syria today after a decade of violence? Hola, Daniel. Well, this is one of those anniversaries we would rather not celebrate. Ten years of violence, torture, impunity, deprivation of liberty. And as we heard in your interview, after 10 years of conflict, over half of the Syrian population are now displaced. Yes, they are. And what was also interesting was that in a press conference earlier this week, it was clear from the Commission of Inquiry, they said that at any time, tens of thousands of people were in arbitrary detention. Now, you're from Bolivia, and perhaps, if I may, with your uh, Latin American hat on, could you comment on the what happens next part for generations of Syrians and others who've only known conflict? I think of Colombia. 60 years of conflict with more than 61,000 people forcibly disappeared, according to the National Commission for the Search of Disappeared Persons. And when I think about it, 
I am chilled to the marrow. Siento escalofríos hasta los huesos. In Colombia, some people were born and died without knowing peace. They knew nothing but weapons. In Syria, a child born in 2011 knows nothing but war. Until when? According to Paulo Sergio Pineiro, chair of the Commission of Inquiry of the Syrian Arab Republic that was set up for, by the Human Rights Council, it is no exaggeration to say that nearly all Syrians have been victims, one, one way or another, women, men, children, human rights activists, journalists, religious or ethnic minorities. The fate of tens of thousands who were disappeared by Syrian government forces remains unknown. Their families have the right to the truth, truth and justice, verdad y justicia. Absolutely, Solange, transparency is key. And as the Commission of Inquiry said in its latest report, which it will be presenting to the Human Rights Council next Thursday, the 11th of March, there is a paper trail for many of these prisoners. So somebody knows where they are, or at least what has happened to them. From any point of view, then, the conflict in Syria is a horror. They have sacrificed the rights of ordinary Syrians for short-lived political gains or under the pretext of fighting terrorism, Hani Megali said in your interview. One thing that struck me about his comments is when he said that, that no one group can claim to have clean hands. That is so strong. It means that violence comes from all sides. It's a crossfire. Now, coming back to Colombia, and this is unfortunately a good example of daily and structural violence, four years after the signing of the peace agreement between the government and the FARC militants, one of the priorities for the United Nations is the security and protection of ex-combatants. This is because since the signing of the peace deal, the UN verification mission in Colombia has reported 248 murders of former FARC EP members, 73 of them in 2020 alone. It also received information about 42 murders of community leaders and human rights activists and 13 massacres. How many years does it take to recover from the horror? How many lives? Thank you, Solange. I don't really want to answer that question because it's clear that these things take a very, very long time to settle and for justice to be served. But there are people like the Commissioners of Inquiry who are pushing for accountability, among other international instruments. And we are out of time again, but we will be back next week for another UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva. Many thanks to you, Solange, to you, Justine Bryce, for your help with production on this week's show as ever and thanks again to you listeners thank you for taking an interest in the united nations please follow un geneva and un news online on your favorite platforms because we would love to hear from you i hope that you've enjoyed the show we'll be back next week with more news and an interview with war photographer giles clark bye-bye for now (music) 